Welcome, I'm David. My wife, Joanna, she's here. There's the wave, one more. That's Joanna. We are the Herobedians Virtual Church Media and soon to be launched virtualchurchinstitute.com. Yes, I said it, virtualchurchinstitute.com is going live shortly. We just got done recording uh, with Sid Roth Ministries for It's Supernatural. That broadcast will be coming out uh, probably in February, maybe March. We don't know yet, but it's been a fun, fun week to say the least and more to come. But tonight we want to get started with a teaching that I think will help a great deal of people. It's entitled Seven Prerequisites. Seven Prerequisites for Operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the gift of prophecy. One of the things that I've seen happen in the use of what God has gifted the church with, which is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment, the endowments, the charismas, it's really God on flesh doing only what God can do, is we have a tendency to mix some of our own personality and some of our own human will in with the gifts. And we sometimes think that you know, God doesn't want to move in somebody's life as much as we want them to, so we have a tendency to help him out a little bit, which only really gets in his way. So we're going to talk about the seven prerequisites for properly operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit so we can do things with excellence and the love of God and the fruit of the Spirit, and it will be so much more effective. I'll probably also share some mistakes that I've made or I've seen other people make in the journey as we grow from lambs to sheep and sheep to shepherds or whatever on the journey because we grow from grace to grace and faith to faith and we're all increasing in maturity in the process. So we give each other grace to grow, but we don't allow people in the process to injure us or do damage to us. And we want to address these issues because this teaching will help us be the best representative of Jesus that we can be because really Christ in you and me, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is really causing us to be Jesus with skin on. So we want to minister his word and also his love because he is love personified. So the seven rules of the, or seven prerequisites for operating in the gifts of the spirit really come from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 1 through 40. 1 Corinthians 12 names the nine manifestation gifts. He says, brethren concerning spiritual gifts in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, I would not have you to be ignorant. The word uh, spiritual gifts there is really the Greek word pneumatikos, which means spiritual things or God-breathed things. So concerning God-breathed things, don't want you to be ignorant. So then he goes on and names all the gifts and talks about the body and how it works together in unity and it's multifaceted. Then he moves into 1 Corinthians 13 and he talks about love and how important love is. If I have the gift of moving mountains, but I have not love, my, I'm like a clanging cymbal or a resounding brass. So we want to have love because the gifts of the Spirit operate by faith and faith worketh by love. One of the common things, and this is a great metaphor, have you ever gone out when you were younger on a warm summer day and you turned on the hose and the water came through 
and you are going to drink the water from the hose. Well, the first water comes out is very warm because it's been laying in the hose. It also tastes a little bit like a rubber hose. So it's not the water's fault. It's the fact that it's been sitting in a warm rubber hose and the hose has connected with the water and leached into the water and it doesn't taste very appealing. However, once the water begins to flow, you can drink from the hose and it is wonderful. Now, if you haven't used the hose all winter and some things have crawled down into the hose and you turn it on and wait for it to spout out and you drink from that, you might get some polluted water. Again, it's not the water's fault. It's what's in the hose. So when the Holy Spirit flows through you and me, the water's pure. However, getting through us as his designated vessel of honor, fit for the master's use, we can often be like that dirty hose. We need to get cleaned out in the process. So when people begin to operate in the gifts of the spirit, the water of heaven begins to flow through them. And this is a wonderful thing. However, if we have not been cleaned up by our private prayer time with the water flowing, sometimes we spew forth some stuff that's a mixture of the Holy Spirit mixed with a little bit of us. Amen? Yes. So, the first prerequisite for operating in the gifts of the Spirit is number one, desire spiritual gifts. It says, brother, desire, earnestly seek. One translation is covet the greater gifts, right? There's only two times the Bible says to covet, or which is when it comes to spiritual gifts. So God wants us to have them. He wants us to earnestly desire. Thou shalt not covet. When it comes to spiritual gifts, thou shalt covet. So that's pretty good. Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Then you come over 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Concerning spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire, covet them. Pretty strong language, right? And the only time God tells us to test him, test not the Lord thy God. When it comes to testing, he says, test me in tithes and offerings. See if I won't open the floodgates of heaven. So God commands you to test him in tithes and offerings because that's how good he is. He's, he double dog dares you to tithe. How about that? Ah, double dog dare you, son. Test me in this. Don't covet. Covet the greater gifts. Don't test the Lord thy God. Test me in offerings. Pretty interesting, huh? Okay, so number one, the, the prerequisite is desire spiritual gifts. How many want to desire spiritual gifts? How many want spiritual gifts? Now, you don't want them so that you can wear them as a crown and oh, I speak in tongues and I've got faith to move mountains. No, the gifts of the Spirit are really to serve other people and to help lift them up. And if you have the gift of healing, it's not to walk around and say, I've got the gift of healing. Boy, my hand is hot. I'm just going to go ahead. And when you see somebody, you're like, oh, wow, the gift of healing. Thank God I've got it because now I can release that as a conduit to that person and they can receive what they need from the Lord. And then when they thank us, we're like, oh, I'm just the host. He's the water. I want to introduce you to the unseen one. He loves you just the way you are, but he left, loves you way too much to, have, a, to have, a, have left you in this current condition. Thank God he's done this for you. We just give him glory. 
And when the gifts of the Spirit operate through you properly with these seven prerequisites, the gifts operating through you will cause you to be more humble and more in alignment with God. When these prerequisites are not followed, the gifts can cause you to be more prideful and arrogant. So that's one of the litmus tests. So first thing is desire spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and verse 39. He starts a chapter with desire. He ends it with desire. He's pointing, hey, get a desire for spiritual gifts. Number two, seek the building up of others, verse 12, with the gifts of the Spirit. So the gifts of the Spirit are for edification, exhortation, and comfort. They're for the building up of the body of Christ. They're not for lording over people or grandstanding. They're for actually lifting other people up. The only time we look down on somebody is when we're bending over to help lift them up and dust them off and get them back on their path with God. Number three, don't be childish in your understanding. Do not be childish in your understanding, but in your malice be children. Now, this is very interesting. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. I'm going to read that again. Brethren, stop thinking like children. In other words, grow up. But in regard to evil, be infants. No, no evil. But in your thinking, be adults. So think like an adult. Stop thinking like child. But in malice, act like a child that wouldn't do harm intentionally to somebody. So that's number three. Don't be childish in your understanding, but in your malice be children. Number four, submit to judging. In other words, judge not, lest you be judged. When it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, it's okay to allow your prophecy to be tested. Somebody said to me the other day, they said, do you mind if I record this prophecy? I said, absolutely. I always want to be accountable for what I say out of my mouth. You're more than welcome to record the prophecy. You don't want it to be recorded and put on the front page of the newspaper. You probably shouldn't be saying it to start with. And that will cause people to say a whole lot less of, thus saith the Lord God. People will be more like, you know, I'm sensing this is what is on the Father's heart today. See the difference in that? I'm sensing this is what's on, on the Father's heart, or I, I had a film clip vision. See the difference in the humility versus, thus saith the Lord. Prerequisites to operating in the gifts properly that cause the gifts to be those that lift others up and bring unity and blessing and restoration and humility and strengthening to the body of Christ. Number five, which is, or number four, submit to judging. So it's verse 29, 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Two or three prophets should speak and others should weigh carefully what is said. People that are not accountable for their prophetic words or won't submit their words to respectful judging. Notice the prophets aren't judged by prophets. The prophecy is judged by prophets. So people that have maturity judge the prophecy. People that are immature judge the person. Judge not lest you be judged, yet we judge prophecy, but we don't judge prophets. See the difference? See about maturity? Seven prerequisites. Number five, submit to authority. Verse 31 and 33. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 31 through 33. 
for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder but of peace, as in all the congregations of the saints. I want to point this out. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. You literally have control whether or not you prophesy or not. And you have control of whether or not you prophesy lie mm-hmm. or not. You have a control of whether or not you're operating in the anointing or you're just annoying. Right? Because some people have a mixture. They have an anointing, but they're also annoying. And it's okay if it's the annoying a nature of God provoking somebody. I often say my job as a minister is to comfort the troubled. My job is also to trouble the comfortable. And so sometimes I will trouble the comfortable to get them out of that comfortable spot so they can move forward in their growth in Christ. Sometimes they're provoked and not happy with me. But down the road, they thank me for getting them provoked out of that stuck spot. However, if it's just me being annoying or obnoxious, they're not going to thank me for that three years from now. Because that was just my flesh. So even if God uses it, you don't get a reward for being fleshly. (laughs) So here we go. Number six, the gifts of the Spirit must line up with the Word of God. Amen. So there was a woman, she was very heavy set, and she had been abused as a child, and you know, just terrible things. Her parents were Satanists. She went through a lot of stuff. And she had um, a rash on her body, and she was seeking the Lord for healing. And another woman came over and had a prophetic word for her that she was supposed to go like you know, Naaman washed seven times for the the leprosy to depart. She was supposed to go to this one place and, and dip seven times, but she was supposed to do it naked. Well, first of all, God doesn't shame you. He doesn't expose you. And she says, well, I, I'll be willing to do that, but I'm not going to go, oh no, you must do this or you're disobedient to the Lord. And she caught an attitude. And when I found out about it, her husband told me, I said, yeah, that's not the Lord. God doesn't shame you to make you go do something like that. That's just not God's character or nature to do that with a woman who's already been through all this abuse. Doesn't make sense. And I prayed for her and then God ended up healing her completely different way. But could God give a word about somebody going to wash in a river seven times? Sure, it's in the scriptures. It lined up with the word. But adding for her to take all of her clothes off like Adam did in the garden, it just was weird and it would have brought shame or exposure. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just getting naked in front of everybody. It just doesn't make sense. So people get a little weird. And it's interesting, sometimes people get a quickening from the scriptures, but they don't operate in wisdom on how to walk that out. So you could get a revelation from the scripture, but that revelation is the first component of a prophetic word. Revelation is number one. Number two is interpretation, what's it mean? And then the third component of a prophetic word is application. How do we apply this? This woman could have got part one. God does want her to wash seven times in, in a pool. And God may have moved on that and honored that. And what would she have to lose by doing that? But then adding that other component in polluted the prophetic word if it was one to start with anyway. 
and it ruined it. But God ended up healing the woman a different way simply through prayer. Sometimes we complicate it. Okay, so number six, the gifts of the Spirit have to line up with the Word of God. Number seven, there needs to be godly order. The Word of the Lord came is recorded 88 times between Isaiah and Zechariah. The word of the Lord came 88 times. The number eight's a number of new beginnings. I don't know, 88, maybe double new beginnings. But my point is this, the word of the Lord comes and it comes regularly because you may all prophesy. You may all prophesy one by one and let others stand by and weigh or judge the prophecy. Not judge the prophets, judge the prophecies. God will judge the prophets. God will judge you. God will judge me. We'll give an account for all the deeds we've done in the flesh. We'll give an account for all the idle words that we've spoken out of our mouth. I'd hate to be right in my judgment about a person, but because of the words out of my mouth, I myself get judged on the day of judgment for what I said about the person. You can be right and not be righteous. Wow. You can be right and not be righteous. There's a right way to do it and a righteous way to do it. Okay. So godly order, let all things be done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. So let's just review real quick. Number one of the seven prerequisites to properly operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Number one, desire spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and 39. Number two, seek to the building up of others. So, verse 12, number three, don't be childish in your understanding, but in your malice be children. Number four, submit the words to others that are mature to judge. And you'll grow by doing that. And number five, submit to authority, uh, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged, for the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So, if I have a prophetic word and I'm in a service, I look to the person in authority, I'll raise my fingers. Normally what I do, I'm like, and they'll like, why is that person having? I have a prophetic word. Okay, you can give that at the end of the service. Okay. I'm submitted to the person who's in authority. Point at my finger. I have a prophetic word. Oh, please give it. See, because if you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't interrupt himself. He, he has somebody call upon you because it adds to what's there. It doesn't disrupt what's there. So people say they stand up. I had to give a prophetic word. It was just exploding out of me. It's not a hot potato. People are like, they get a prophetic word. I got to give it. I got to give it. Ah, 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 you know, this and that. Well, maybe it's a word for intercession, you know, and, and I got to call them on the phone. I got to give it now. You know, this and very rarely is it that urgent. God's control of everything. If it was that urgent, why wouldn't he have given it to you earlier so that you can go deliver it properly. Now, there are times when there is an urgency and it's to save life. Okay, so that's uh, submit to authority. 1 Corinthians 14, 31 and 33. Number six, the gifts line up with the word. And number seven, godly order. So do not put out the Spirit's fire. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything, hold fast to that which is good. And avoid every kind of evil. So 1 Corinthians or 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. If God's got a, a prophecy, let him give it. Number two, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Hymenaeus and Alexander, the coppersmith, treated Paul's prophecies with contempt. 
and they suffered shipwreck in their faith. And Paul handed their flesh over to Satan. They may learn not to bla may learn not to blasphemy. Blasphemy. He actually turned their flesh over to Satan for punishment. The Scripture says that's pretty strong, isn't it? Why? Because they rejected true prophetic words. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. I was at an event um, with Joanna, my wife, and she was crowning daughters of the King of Heaven. She crowned about fifty-five or sixty women, and. So the person that was there, and we were on like, I don't know, 16 acres at an old governor's mansion, and I think we were in Oklahoma, and the power of God was falling. It was amazing, and it was really great. And here's what happened. This man, he was young in the Lord, and he came to me, and said, so I've, I've got I've to give you this prophetic word. I just, I just feel like I have to give it to you. So I listened, and I, I said, okay. And my wife was there. She says, the Lord is telling me to tell you that you know, you feel like you're second and you're just supporting your wife and, you know, she has a really big calling and, uh, you know, you, you, you know, God's going to reward you for, you know, supporting her and, you know, and, and I said, oh, well, thank you. It's thank you very much for stepping out in faith, you know, to give that word. And I thank him. I didn't tell him the word was accurate. I didn't lie to him. I didn't tell him, hey, listen, I've written 15 books, had my own TV broadcast with my wife for five years. You know, we traveled. I didn't tell him that because that would have put a damper. You don't smoke out. You don't, you know, snuff out a smoking flax. You don't take a bruiser. I was proud of him for stepping out, but I also didn't allow myself to be slimed by that word. And Joanna was looking over at me and it was, we were kind of internally laughing um, because he didn't know the rest of the story because I was a support beam. Well, the next night we pulled out the Solomon swords and we were anointing and, you know, you know, knighting men uh, the night. I don't know if he was there or not, but the point is you don't have to accept a prophetic word. And I was proud of him for stepping out, even though he really kind of missed it, but it was okay because we're mature enough to test everything, hold fast to that, which is good. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Eat the chicken, spit up the bones. If we would take the same rules for receiving prophetic words as we take for eating food, we'll be fine. Eat the chicken, spit up the bones. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Eat the grapes, spit out the seeds. Not every word that comes forth is the pure word of the Lord because sometimes there's some things in our hose that mixes with the pure word. So take the word, reject the other stuff, but hold fast to that which is good. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Is that good? Is that helpful? So sometimes somebody will come to you with an accurate prophetic word, but a wrong spirit they come in. Now a mature believer will say, I receive the word, I reject the spirit you brought it in. Thank you. Because they could be right, but they brought it in the wrong spirit. So they picked up something that they're right, but their own judgments concerning the person might even be a word of correction. And they come acting like God's angry with you. He's not angry. He's correcting you. You're his son or his daughter. He wants you to do better. And always remember this. If you go with a word of correction, how would you like to be corrected? In love? Restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, lest you two are tempted, the scripture says. Is this helpful at all? Mm -hmm. Okay, so 
The other thing we want to say is this. Prophets have always been, Luke 170, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. Somebody says, well, David, you know, the prophets ended with uh, the disciples. I said, well, you know, the gifts operate according to your faith, so that's probably true for you. I believe they're still here today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, I believe the scriptures say you may all prophesy one by one and then uh, let others judge. And the prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. I actually have a lot of prophet friends. Sometimes people refer to me in that office. I don't refer to myself in that office. Just, you know, we're prophetic people. We're people that hear the voice of God. Prophecy is hearing from God and communicating that to mankind or a specific individual in that moment or a corporate setting. You might be a prophetic voice over a nation. Well, we were just recording up at the TV broadcast studios this, this uh, last week. We had the privilege of sitting down with a wonderful woman of God. She's over you know, many, many churches, she and her husband. She's a deadly accurate prophet's office prophet, and she is hilarious. And the way she uses words, she has kingdom speech. She'll speak a sentence, and it's like you just got paragraphs of revelation out of that. And she's just a joy to be around. And when you get around prophetic people, the anointing will rub off from them to you. When you get around non-prophetic people, the lack of anointing can rub off. So you want to be prophetic, not pathetic. And you want to hang out around with people that have relationship with the Lord. And if they're operating in something and you're close enough to be around them, just say, Lord, I want some of that too. And he'll take you into the school of the Spirit. And he'll begin to strengthen your character so that you can steward that kind of gifting. Because remember this, the gifts aren't for you as much as they are through you. One day I was, uh, I was in Springfield, Missouri Medical Center for Federal Prisoners. I was there from 95 to 98. The Lord taught me a lot about healing because people were dying at that facility, about 100 of them a year as a medical facility with about 850 inmates and out of the 850, 450 of them were work cadre, meaning they weren't in the hospital or weren't sick. But you had every kind of disease from mental illness to uh, you know, cancer, AIDS, uh, epilepsy, kidney renal failure, heart conditions, and it's a pretty hopeless situation for many. So we got a chance to see God move powerfully. We also got a chance to see uh, God save a lot of people before they step into eternity and a lot of them got born again on their deathbed, and then they died. They, they got into heaven with their shirt tail of smoking. And if you got to go to jail to avoid going to hell, it's worth it. So some of your children may, you know, have gone to jail and you're all, you know, bent out of shape and all brokenhearted about it. And guess what? If they had to go to jail to avoid going to hell, it is worth it. So, you know, pray that God connects with your children. They don't have to go to jail, but if they do, Praise God, he'll meet them right where they're at. So the gift of prophecy definition is to hear from God and speak to men. It should be noted that the gift of prophecy communicates not only God's words, but also God's heart. God is a God of love as he speaks to his children in love. He desires to strengthen, encourage, and comfort his children through the gift of prophecy. This may be a prophetic word that is personal to an individual, a corporate word to a group or congregation, or more. So here I was back at Springfield, and there was a gentleman and he loved to prophesy. Yet he was a little bit in the process in his prophetic gifts, so he also was a little bit fleshly. Now remember, he's in federal prison, he's in on a drug case, but he did get genuinely born again, and he was 
backslidden while he also was in a form of ministry with a singing gift. And so he had a little bit of a you know, challenge overcoming cigarettes. And so cigarettes, you know, some say is, is more, more addictive than like heroin. As, and it's obviously more socially acceptable to smoke a cigarette um, than it is to slam heroin in your arm. I mean, unless you're in like California, Oregon. But um, so I didn't, did I just say that? I thought out loud, didn't I? I got, well, we did, you know, we were in, in California for a lot of years. But anyway, so um, my point is he lived in the non-smoking dorm with me. Yet he would sneak out and he would smoke cigarettes. So if you got caught with cigarettes in that dorm at that time, they would kick you out and they would put you in the smoking dorm. And back then you could smoke cigarettes in prison. I think they removed them from pretty much most of the prisons. But he loved to pray for people. And, you know, he had accurate prophetic words, but he didn't ask people permission before he would pray for them and lay hands on them. He just was the prophetic hot potato and he just had to do it. And the guy was about six foot four. He was a big gentleman. And so he would go to laying hands on people and he would also have like anointing oil. So he would slap the oil on his hands and he'd want to slap oil on your forehead. And again, he was zealous and he was stepping out in faith. At the same time, his hands smelled like cigarettes. So here we are in a non-smoking dorm and he's slapping oil on his hands and he's just out there sneaking cigarettes and he's got nicotine on his hands. And he would go to pray for you and the word would be accurate, but you'd feel like you got slimed with nicotine, right? So I finally pulled him aside and I said, brother, I said, can I talk with you? Because you, you have to have a voice in somebody's life and you have to love them more than their issue because we never reach anybody effectively unless our love level for them supersedes their issue, right? And so I was struggling getting that love level up before I talked to him uh, because his issue was really kind of annoying and so other people were complaining to me and I went to him and I told him, I said, hey brother, I said, your, your fingers smell like cigarette smoke and people are not really excited about you praying for them. Wow, that's, that's the Lord. And he got very defensive. And I said, okay, I said, I'm just sharing with you. If you could like wash your hands before you do this and maybe ask people permission if it's okay, if you pray for I'm got to be led by the Lord. And when he comes on me, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. I said, I believe you've got wonderful exuberance. I believe you've got a great desire to serve the Lord and to reach God's people. I don't want to put, you know, cold water on that. At the same time, there's a proper way to do it. So this is one of the reasons why I really sought the Lord. And this is where the seven prerequisites to operate properly in the gift of, gifts of the Spirit really came forth this teaching from 1 Corinthians 14 as I was asking, how do you balance the exuberance of moving forward? You know, because Peter, think about this, Peter, the apostle, was the one preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost, right? He was very impetuous. I mean, he cut off a centurion's ear. Maybe, maybe not so acceptable. Jesus then healed the ear. He, he walked on water and sank, right? Kind of impetuous. Yet he got out of the boat. The other 11 didn't, right? He rebukes the Lord. Oh, you know, you're not going to die, this and that. No, Peter, that's what I came for. Thou hast not in mind the things of God, but of men. Get thee behind me, Satan, Peter. Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, so these are some pretty colossal mistakes that Peter makes in the process of operating the gifts of the Spirit. Now, what's even interesting, 
Whom do you say that I am? Well, some say you're Jesus. Jesus. Some say that you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets, you know, or this or that. Peter, whom do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Well done, you know. Two verses later, Jesus is talking about his death. Peter's like, oh, no, not you, Lord. Get thee behind me, Satan. How could Peter go from the spirit to the flesh just that quick? Yet, Peter then ends up denying Christ three times. Yet, Peter's the one preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 get saved. My point is this. God loves people to be hungry for the gifts of the Spirit so they can steward them and serve God and God's people with the gifts. Peter's the one that says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee to the crippled man at the gate beautiful. Pulls him up by the hand, says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately strength come into, comes into his ankle bones. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And so that's how God used Peter, the impetuous one that denies Christ three times. That's how God used Peter, the impetuous one that got out of the boat and sunk. That's how God used Peter, the impetuous one that was willing to fight and murder a centurion soldier. Not because he was impetuous, but because he was willing to step out. God can't steer a parked car. Sometimes we've got our car parked and God wants us to get it in gear. He can steer a car that's moving. And sometimes with impetuous people, they move too quickly and so God has to give them the old thing on the GPS. Recalculating, U-turn, turn around. <laughs> 180 degrees, repent, and guess what? Other people are stuck in the parking space and they're never judged for making mistakes. It's easy to judge the ones that are making the mistakes, but guess what? They're hot and they're on fire for God. God can fix the rest. So this right. tall gentleman with the cigarette hands, um, finally, after about three months, he repented. God delivered him from nicotine. And he no longer smelled. He began to grow in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, was cigarettes going to keep him out of heaven? Absolutely not. I told him, I said, cigarettes aren't going to keep you out of heaven. I said, you keep smoking them and you'll just get there quicker. You know? So, and that's what I said to him. I said, you know, as long as God gives you liberty to smoke them, enjoy them. I mean, he might be working in another area of your life. Maybe he's not working with you on cigarettes right now. Maybe you've got bigger issues on a scale of one to ten with you and him. I said, I'm not going to judge you for smoking cigarettes. I said, but the day that he convicts you will be the day that he delivers you. But if he hasn't convicted you, smoke on. Three months later, he got convicted and he got <laughs> delivered. See, God never promises to deliver us from our buddies. He delivers us from our enemies. And as long as that thing is your buddy, he's not going to deliver you. But the minute you decree it your enemy, he'll deliver you. May we get delivered from God's enemies because God's enemies become our enemies. Otherwise, those enemies will take us into a place of sickness or poverty or relationship damage or whatever until we no longer realize our buddies are doing anything for us. They're actually harming us. So if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Don't, don't pluck it out. Just ask the Lord to deliver you. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter maimed 
into heaven than whole into hell. And so if your right-hand man causes you to sin, if you've got somebody in your life, a right-hand man or a right-hand woman, and they keep leading you and influencing you to go do some things that you shouldn't, cut them off. Be free. Move on. So I want to talk now just briefly about another series of sevens here. And this is seven rules for properly administering prophecy. Now, we just had seven prerequisites for operating in the gifts of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 40. Now the second half is how to operate in the prophetic, and we're going to get into this. So the first rule is know your level of authority, because this is so important. We were just up at some recording studios, and there was a lot of people there that the Lord gave my wife and I words for, but we did not just run off and start prophesying because we did not have an invitation to prophesy over staff members. But at the end of all of our recording platforms that we had the privilege of being on, people came that were the employees and they wanted a prophetic word. And the spirit of prophecy was strong that, that afternoon and the power of God fell. But if we'd have come in prophesying, it would have been out of divine order. But by waiting on the Lord, it was in divine order. So know your level of authority. So if I walk into a church and nobody knows me, and I don't just walk up and start prophesying. I don't have authority in that church. In this group, I can prophesy. Why? Because my wife and I happen to be the, the hosts or senior leaders or whatever label or title you know we have here. Um, and people know who we are. We attend a church with about 2,000 members. I don't run around prophesying in that church. However, there's people that know me that will come up. There are people that know my wife. Can you pray? And then we'll be praying because it's by invitation. But I don't run down and grab the microphone. But there will be a time when we'll be invited to do that. But we're not going to run off outside of our level of authority. So if I go to correct my child per se, I have authority to correct my child. And if my child is across the yard playing with the neighbor's child, I have authority to correct my child, but I don't have authority to correct the neighbor's child. It's not my kid. However, if the parents of that child say, David, Joanna, I want you to know if my child is acting up, I'm giving you authority to treat them with loving correction like you do your own children. We really like how you correct your child. So I'm giving you authority with my child. Now I have authority, but don't assume authority. Don't rebuke somebody else's child and don't go prophesying to somebody that you don't have a relationship with unless you are flowing in the prophet's office. And right now that's not what we're talking about here because when you have the prophet's office, it's a completely different game. And uh, when I say game, I mean, there are some crazy things that happen. You'll prophesy to some people that you've never met before, but you will have maturity at that point. And so it'll be a little different animal. So number one, know your level of authority. Many problems can be eliminated by understanding of God's plan for authority in the church. The apostle Paul touched on this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is the King James Version. But we will not boast of things outside our measure or sphere 
but according to the measure of rule which God has distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. God has given every one of us an individual level of authority and measure of rule to minister within. To go outside that measure of rule is to step outside our sphere of influence or God-ordained measure or rule. For example, if your neighbor comes into your yard and corrects your child without your permission, you'd most likely be upset. Neighbors don't automatically have that kind of authority just because they're an adult or parent themselves. They have the authority to correct their own child in their home, but should never presume authority to correct someone else's child. Do you know you can be given limited authority? And then that limited authority can be revoked at any time. Like for example, let's say that we're not here because we're traveling on a Wednesday night. We might give somebody limited authority for a Wednesday night when we're gone. When we show back up, that authority is revoked because we're here. We trusted somebody with that authority and if there was a violation while we were gone on a Wednesday night, then they may not have authority again until they mature. So we get tested with authority and we get more authority as we go on. Number two, know your level of revelation. This is so important. Never present a word as a higher level revelation than you received it. For example, God told me this about you. Okay, guess what? I mean, he could have. I ask, I'm like, okay, great. How did he communicate it? Was it the still small voice? Was it angelic visitation? Was it the audible voice of God? Did Jesus appear in bodily form? It's fair. Rarely do they have an answer for that. However, I have had people tell me, Jesus appeared to me in a dream and he told me to tell you something. Do you see the difference in the calmness of their voice? Well, that's going to get your attention when somebody says Jesus appeared. But you can tell whether it was Jesus or not by their level of humility. They're like in fear and trembling giving this word. I've had, before I got married to my wife, I had experience with about three or four, maybe five women who told me Jesus appeared to them, told them I was their husband. But I don't think that was Jesus. But guess what? If somebody comes to you, don't rebuke them because that's been difficult and they may be deluded or deceived, but they're fragile at that point. So you want to be very respectful and say, well, will you give me an opportunity to, to pray and fast for a few days and to see if the Lord would give me that same revelation? And if it's God, I'm open to it. And uh, I believe if he spoke it to you, he, he could speak, speak it to me if we're dealing with a, a lifelong commitment. And they'll be like, uh, okay. And then you can go pray and say, Lord, if she's an heir, correct her and change her. If I'm an heir, correct me and change me. Change us both into the image and likeness of Jesus. And because uh, you don't want to make a life mistake with marriage. And uh, so, but you want to be very, very respectful. You don't want to say, that wasn't Jesus. That was an angel of light. If you were the last woman on earth, I wouldn't marry you. Okay, that's very hurtful and harmful. And it's a mystery. So don't react. You know, Jesus never reacted. He only acted and responded. You know, people say, well, Jesus reacted. He did that triple braided cord with the money changers. No, he acted. That's different. He took action, but he didn't react. Jesus answered them, not a mumbling word. So he responded or he acted, but he didn't react. And if you're reactionary, 
need to work on some maturity. So know your level, level of revelation. If you received an impression, don't say, God spoke to me. Say, I received an impression in my spirit. If it was the audible voice of God, say it was the audible voice of God. If it was a vision, a dream, a messenger angel, an inward knowing, etc., etc., don't ever over-dramatize. Simply share on the level that you received it. Don't force a person to receive your level of revelation as if you was bigger than it was. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convince, to convict, to bring his presence in. It's not your job to force them to receive it. Here's the other thing. I've given words to pastors on different occasions. They didn't do them. And there was disaster that happened. I'm not upset with that pastor. That's their deal. I'm not upset that they didn't do the prophetic word. I'm sad that there was damage that was caused by their disobedience. But remember, they didn't reject me. They reject the word of the Lord. So when you go give somebody a prophetic word, if they do it, don't take any credit. I gave that word and it changed this and that because of this. And, you know, I, I was this prophet and I was the one. Come on. And if they don't do it and say, well, if you'd have done what I said, this wouldn't have happened. God gets the glory when they obey. And they get the shame when they disobey. But don't take glory for that stuff. Be a vessel of honor fit for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Number two, number three, rule number three. Your level of understanding, this one is so important. Don't prophesy beyond your God-given level of understanding. If you have an accurate interpretation of the information, the revelation you received, share it. If not, don't make one up. I had a prophet friend of mine, he said, yeah, he said, one time I had this revelation. This guy had an Indian Indy 500 car. It had number eight on it. And uh, he was winning, you know, this race. And there was supposed to, and there was a car that was blue, number 27. And there was a potential accident and, you know, this and that. He says, so as I got ready to prophesy, I had the number eight as new beginnings. I had the car as this and that because of the color. And I started interpreting this whole thing. The Lord said, just tell him what you saw. And so he told him what he saw. It turns out this guy is an Indy 500 car driver. He has car number eight. And there was a car number 27 who would then cut him off and almost cause a wreck. But because of the word, it saved this guy's life in this thing. And I, I don't think it was the Indy 500. It was some other type of thing. But he said, David, he says, I only prophesy about 8 to 12% of what God shows me. He said, because most people can't handle the full picture anyway. He said, and give them space for the Holy Spirit to speak to them. You don't have to give them paragraphs. You just give them some headlines and God will confirm that in the mouth of two or three witnesses down the road. It doesn't take much of God's word to change a life. Just make sure it's not mixed with a bunch of hamburger helper that can ruin a life. Okay, so don't prophesy beyond your God-given level of understanding if you have an accurate interpretation. This is number three. Um, share it. If not, don't make it up. Simply share the revelation as you received it, allowing the recipient to interpret it. Genesis 41.32. Don't, uh, don't all interpretations belong to God. Verse, uh, Genesis 40, verse 8. Uh, a person might receive revelation. You get an interpretation. Give God the glory. 
and then let God work with them through that. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Remember, they have the Holy Spirit too if they're a believer. And guess what? Even if they don't have the Holy Spirit, his desire is to get into their life. He's getting in through that prophetic word. But give them space. They don't, it's not a prophetic hot potato. It's just usually not that serious. If it was that serious, it would have a different level of anointing on it. Okay, number four. Know your level of faith. This is so important. Don't attempt to prophesy beyond your individual level of faith. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace of God that he's given to us, let us exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, prophesy according to the proportion of your faith, Romans 12, 6. My friend, Prophet Rob, he's a prophet's prophet. I mean, this man of God will get a vision and he'll be shown the dream that you had the night before in detail, scene after scene. So Daniel chapter two had that. So I've seen Rob like call people out of services, like 500 people. They were like, would you stand? The person will get up. He says, last night you had a dream. There's 500 people there. So you got the microphone. So the person thinks, well, I guess I'm supposed to tell him the dream that I had and he'll interpret it. He said, did you have a dream last night? Yes, I did. Don't tell me the dream. I'm going to tell you the dream. Scene by scene, he'll tell them the dream. Every scene that he tells them, the power of God's hitting them like waves. Like you, you saw in an open window. The open window was too high. You had to get a stool. You grabbed a three-legged metal stool and you got on it and you couldn't reach the window. And they're just like, Shh. Yeah, that would you put the three-legged metal stool away and you pull out a four-legged metal or wooden stool that's brown. Is that accurate? Yes, yes. And you got on there and you tried to clean the window and you couldn't clean the window and the window was open and you got down and you looked up and you woke up and the person next to you is your husband, correct? Yes. Okay, well, it might be 50-50 on that. He says, and when you woke up, you woke up your husband and you told him the dream. Sir, would you stand? Is that accurate? Yeah. And he's looking at this like, what is going on? And he said, and she told you the dream scene by scene, didn't she? He said, yeah. He said, you have a cleaning company. Is that accurate? They said, yes. He says, the window was not to be cleaned. It was a window of opportunity for both of you to step through and fly high with God and to go into full-time ministry. And the power of God is just rolling over their lives with the presence wow. confirming. And I mean, it's just incredible. And he said, hold hands. And he blew in the microphone. The power of God hit him. They went down. They're in full-time ministry now. So everybody's looking like, was this a setup? And he turns around. He looks at a woman. He says, ma'am, last night you had a dream, didn't you? She says, yeah. He goes, would you stand up? He says, do you know me? She says, no. Who invited you here? She said, I saw an advertisement. Have you ever been here before? She says, no, I've never been to this church before. Does anybody know you? She says, no. He says, let me tell you your dream. Boom, 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 scene by scene, the power of God hits him. So he had that Daniel 2 anointing. I had facilitated, helped facilitate a trip for him to, I won't name the nation, but he ended up in the office of what would be like the attorney general for the nation. And the person that had brought him there said, uh, I know you don't believe in prophets, but I will tell you this. This is a real prophet, and he will tell you what you spoke in your bedroom last night. My friend Prophet Rob's like, oh, what did you just do? 
He says, God, you've got me in another nation. I mean, I could be locked up over this. <laughs> so he walks in, and as he's walking in, he has an open vision. And the attorney general of that nation is in the vision talking to his wife, saying, I'm tired of doing this job. I'm a straw man. They make me the attorney general, but they don't give me any authority or decision-making. And he was a, a, a Christian man in about a 2% Christian nation in a third-world uh, country. And, and so Prophet Rob said to him, what he had seen, word for word, what he spoke to his wife. And he said, I'm going in to resign tomorrow. He says, Lord says, not for you not to resign. He says, is that what happened? He's like, shuts the door. He says, you are a real prophet. And so that guy took notes on how to run the nation from the attorney general's perspective to release the decided will of God into the earth to enhance that nation. So that's how a prophet's office can operate. So one day uh, I was with Rob and my wife was with me and we had kind of a gathering with some people at a house. It was, you know, unplanned. And, and so as we were praying, I said, Rob, would you pray and prophesy over the people in the room? And he said, okay. So he starts to prophesy over one. And this is what I learned. This is why Rob never makes a mistake in prophecy because he doesn't try to operate in the Daniel chapter two anointing. Last night you had a dream unless God shows him the dream. Instead, he'll prophesy edification, exhortation, and comfort, which is the entry level of prophecy, or the goodness of God, prophesying the golden people, encouraging them. Then if the prophet's office, that realm opens up to him, he'll step up higher. Revelation 4.1 says, and I saw a man, there was a door opened unto me in heaven, and the man said, come up hither. There's times when God will call you up higher or hither into the realm of the spirit where you can see from heaven's perspective. If that's not what God's doing, don't act like he is. People come to me and said, David, I want you to prophesy over me. And, uh, or if you get a word, let me know. Okay, I'll let you know. Well, can you pray over me right now? Sure. Do you have a word for me? No. Will you pray over me? Sure. Will you see if God will give you a word? Sure. So I'll start to pray. And the minute I step into prayer, then it starts edification, exhortation, and comfort. The next thing you know, it moves up into higher realms because they can put a demand on the gift within you and you can stir up the gift that's within you. So you can stir it up. People can put a demand on it. The woman that reached out and touched Jesus's hem of the garment, he didn't ask her to touch his garment. She had a blood issue. It was against the Levitical law for her to touch the hem of the garment of a rabbi, she had a blood issue. She would have made him unclean and had him, but she thought if he's God in the flesh, if he's the Messiah, if he's the one that's promised, I can't make him unclean. He can only make me clean. So she went and reached through and pressed and touched the hem of the garment and virtue went out of him because she put a demand on the gift. Mary put a demand on the gift. Jesus, they're out of wine. What does this have to do with me, mom? What do you mean, what's it have to do with you? Hey, whatever he tells you to do, just go do it. They weren't out of wine until your disciples showed up. I can just see you're kind of saying that, you know. And we're fishermen, right? So I'm at a little, little liberty with the scriptures there. But anyway, so Jesus had a demand put, a demand was put on his gift by his mom. He hadn't done any miracles yet. She pushed him into miracles. You can come and put a demand on the gift. I, some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in our ministry is when I didn't feel anointed and somebody came and asked me to pray for him. I'm like, well, I don't really have faith for that. Oh, that's okay. I've got faith. You're just supposed to pray. 
I pray for them and whoosh, the power of God comes and I'm like, oh, what just happened? And they get healed and I'm like, whoa, that was incredible, you know? Because they put a demand on the gift. Other times I didn't feel like praying, but I stirred up the gift that was within me. Because the gifts of the spirit are always moving. We're just not in the spirit to move in them. The gifts of the spirit are always moving. We're just not in the spirit to move in them. So if you stir it up, you'll step in the spirit to flow in them. And if somebody comes and puts a demand on the gift, even though you don't feel anointed in the moment, because you do carry that gift, it will activate. There was a prophetess that we were with uh, uh, for a couple of hours and you know, international prophetess this, this last few days when we were up in the TV studios. And I said, hey, I would like you to pray for my wife and me. And she said, hmm, I'm really tired. I said, I know, we are too. I'm putting a demand on the gift. She smiled, she says, okay. And she got up and gave this incredibly accurate prophetic word. We have it stored on a phone. It's a game-changing one. And I said, before you leave, I'm gonna ask one more thing. She says, what's that? I said, I'd like for you to pray for us that the seer gifting that you have would be imparted to us. And so we literally, I said, I feel like we're supposed to kneel before you as an act of humility. So we did, and she put her fingers on my forehead and Joanna's and a tingling came from the Holy Spirit. And it's like, and, and we have a new level on our life. Now I could have said, well, let's catch you tomorrow or I'll meet you at the conference or we'll see you in the green room. The timing was right there. She was tired. But she ended up spending about 15 minutes with us. We became you know, good friends through that because the gifts of the Spirit should forge relationships, should not cause division but unity when they're operating properly. So know your level of faith. Don't appro- don't, oh, so here's what Rob said. So we're, we're, she, he's praying and prophesying over these people in this house. And I think we're in like Ontario, California. And he comes to this one woman and the prophecy is accurate. And all of a sudden, he's caught up into the heaven. And he's just like, wow. He said, I see a vision of you at a log cabin and your grandmother is bouncing you on her knee. And she's singing this song. And he starts to sing this song and the woman starts to weep and cry because 65 years earlier, she was on her grandmother's knee at that log cabin at age four. And she would, the grandmother would pray over her. And this woman had gone through, you know, high levels of Hollywood and some other things. She was a singer. And then she, then Rob said, I, I see your grandmother in heaven. And he says, let me describe her to you. He describes the color of her skin, her eyes and everything. And he said, I have a message. And it ties in with what she said to you at age four. And the word of the Lord at age four when she was praying over you is still valid today. And it like put this woman back into her calling in that moment. And Rob got done prophesying. He was just like, like it, it freaked him out, you know, but that's an unusual thing that happened. And the fruit of it was she got back on track. Then her husband, who was more elderly, passed away. And then she went into her calling. And so I said, Rob, I said, yeah. He said, I never prophesy beyond the measure of my faith in that moment. I stay in the safe zone of edification, exhortation, and comfort that lines in with scripture until God 
raises me up into that next realm. I don't try to start in that realm. I start wherever God gives me. I stir up the gift. He says, and sometimes it's instant. Other times it takes a while. He came to visit in the prison. He prophesied over about 25 people in a row, deadly accurate. Like, oh, you like to work with wood. He says, in fact, you like birch and you like this. And he began to just detail about this guy's a woodworker. And the name, the favorite woods he likes. And he says, I see you with a number two pencil. He says, you have a teaching gift. Well, the guy was like teaching GED. I mean, just went boom, 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 boom. And so that's the real gift of prophecy. So know your level of faith. Don't go beyond it. And we grow in faith from faith to faith. Number five, everything needs to be mitigated by love. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and have not love, I am nothing. 1 Corinthians 13 to New American Standard Version. While prophecy involves bringing a message from God, we must also realize that we are ministering to his children. We should always minister prophetically motivated by God's love. Love builds up while knowledge alone puffs up. 1 Corinthians 8.1 The true litmus test of love is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So with prophecy, if you protect, you hope, and you persevere, prophetic words will never fail. Number six, impart hope, faith, hope, and love. Uh, and 1 Corinthians 13, and rule, rule number seven, minister in humility. This is so important. When my wife and I had our spark, we were at a church. And when we were at a church, there was another prophetic woman that was there that was single at the time. And she came and prophesied over my friend. And both of them have gifts of prophecy. My wife is incredibly prophetic, very accurate. Some of my friends say that she's the most accurate person they've ever got. In seven years of marriage, I've never known my wife to miss it. A couple of times I wish she had, but she was deadly accurate. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of us had to repent that day and it wasn't her. And so, so this other woman had led a lot of people to Christ, very accurate with the word, very accurate with gifts. And she went to go visit, minister to my friend, and she kind of like stood over her and was like pushing her down and, you know, this and that. And then Joanna came and ministered to my friend. And Joanna knelt down and looked up at her. And there was a royalty about Joanna. And I had, had a second spark. I'm like, wow, she understands, you know, honoring people with the gift. And so when you understand the supernatural ways of royalty, you'll honor people. Jesus washed feet, yet he was God in the flesh, king of the universe. Yet, we want to stand with the pulpit and point this and that instead of honoring people. If I come to you like this, thus saith the Lord, versus I really sense the Lord is saying, see this pushes you back and I better be right. This is, this is what I sense the Lord. Guess what? It's the same word of the Lord. You don't have to wrap it with thus saith the Lord. So the only time I say thus saith the Lord is when I hear the Lord say it. It's not a vision. It's not an impression. It's not a thought. It's not a quickening to scripture. It's the still small voice of God or the internal audible voice of God or the external audible voice of God. 
or an angel is speaking in my ear. That's a rare thing. You don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. The Lord will confirm if it's him. He doesn't need your help to remind people that it's him. He's God all by himself. Okay, so lastly, we must minister in humility. We should not break a bruised reed with our own words, with our words, uh, Isaiah 42, 1 through 3. And the character and spirit of Jesus is to restore and bring healing. Remember that the gift of prophecy is primarily for strengthening encouragement and comfort. To be like Jesus, we must prophesy life to those who are at even the lowest point, not simply tell them how far they have fallen. The true litmus test of a prophetic gift is your ability in the Lord to call those things which be not as though they are, not call them as they are. So if you see somebody broken, my friend Rob and other prophet friends of mine, they'll see somebody completely strung out on heroin come into the service. And until, instead of telling them you need to repent, you know, you're a heroin addict, look, it's obvious. They got tracks in their arms. This isn't the gifts of the spirit. This is a gift of natural vision. My friends who operate in the prophet's office will point to them and say, you are clean. You are drug free. You're a man of God or you're a woman of God instead of a prostitute. They'll call them by the spirit into their destiny. And all of a sudden the stuff just falls off of them once they know who they are. And everybody in the service with natural eyes is going, doesn't he know who this woman is? Doesn't he know who this gang member is? This guy's the meanest. I don't even know why he's in our church. We're afraid he's here. By the time my prophet friends are done prophesying over that individual, the Holy Spirit has gone in and delivered them with the word of the Lord. And they're on track. And within you know, a few years, they're in full-time ministry. And they're out winning the loss. So know your level of authority. Minister in humility. Minister in love. Don't go beyond your rule. Submit. Allow God to judge your prophecies with other people, not to judge you, but to judge prophecies. Don't judge the person. Judge the prophecies. And you'll be in the safe zone. And remember, the gifts of the Spirit are not for you as much as they are through you. Now, as you steward them, you get the benefits of them as well. But they're for other people. They're He's the water. We get to be the privilege of being the hose to refresh people, but not to spray it. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, let's close in prayer. Lord, help us to hear your voice. And for those that want more of the gifts of the Spirit, just you know, ask the Lord, earnestly desire, covet. And those that want more money, so test you in this, tithe, <laughs> try it, um, and see what God will do. But ask him for the gifts of the Spirit right now that you might be stewards of them to release his gifts to God's people. So Lord, we thank you for the gifts. We desire spiritual gifts that we might be stewards of what you have given us. Clean out our hose so it's a pure word of the Lord that comes forth. And thank you for grace to grow. And we thank you that we will not reject prophecies, but rather we hold fast to that which is good. And we thank you that you show us how to begin to flow in the flow of the Spirit right now. That we might catch the wind of the Spirit and be raised up. We thank you for the revelation for one door that's open where a man says, come up hither. I thank you for calling those 
under the sound of my voice right now up higher. I thank you now for releasing uh, like the spiritual wax in the ears, cleansing that because your sheep hear your voice and another they will not follow. I thank you for granting those hearing right now to begin to hear your voice in intimacy. Into me you see intimacy. We thank you for giving them a glimpse of heaven and beginning to show them things to come and confirming it. So when they have deja vu, they're like, oh, the experience of experiencing something I've experienced before deja vu. Oh, I got it in a dream. You'll begin to show and teach and train people up to steward the gifts of the Spirit and the prophetic voice of the Lord. I release the clarion call, the bell tone quality sound of the voice of heaven in your spirit and in your ear. Open their ears, seal their instructions. Give them dreams of the night. Wake them up with songs of the Spirit. Cause them to sleep with the song of the Lord. Grant words of knowledge and words of wisdom and give wisdom on how to steward what you're releasing for such a time as this. And I thank you for maturity being released and those that have stepped out of the boat and sunk in the past, those that have stepped out and denied Christ in the past, I thank you for restoring and repairing and relaunching. I hear the Lord say in the spirit, launch out again, launch out again. There's been people who have launched and fell flat on your face and you crawled back defeated. God says, launch out. I'm just sensing, I'm just hearing the word, the still small, small voice of the, the Lord. Launch out again. Launch out again. Do it again. Step out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Joanna, do you have a song that you could just sing in the background just to, to kind of close us out? Thank you that we, we praise your name. And we lift our hearts to you. I will praise the Let my soul be 
So that was just the song of the Lord that came upon Joanna. She never sang that. It's just the words that came up prophetically with the gift God's given her and hearing the words of the Lord. So there's an example, a prophetic song with the gift that she operates in. So God bless you. We'll see you next week. Visit us at virtualchurchmedia.com and also soon to be launched Virtual Church. Institute.com. God bless you.